Well, today we have the privilege to hear Austin. He's going to come and speak in just a moment, but we are kicking off our Advent, as you know, and uh, the series that we're going to be talking about through the whole month of December, as well as today, is based on the uh, movie, The Nativity Story. It came out, I think, about 2006, and so each week we'll show a clip from it, and uh, we're going to talk about that. Austin's going to talk about the coming king and uh, Mary's perspective on that. And so let's uh, watch this video. And after the video is over, well, the kids can go down now if they want, but I thought they might want to watch the video. But anyway, uh, at the afterwards, uh, Austin's going to come and speak. So watch this video together. with you. Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Come, you will conceive in your womb and give birth to a son, and you will call his name Jesus. How can this be, since I've been with no man? The Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power from the Most High will overshadow you. And the holy offspring shall be called the Son of God. Son of God? Mary, even your cousin Elizabeth, has conceived a son in her old age, for nothing said by God can be impossible. Let it be done to me, according to your word. is grabbing the pulpit for me. Thank you, Alex. Um, it's such uh, an incredible privilege to, thanks, man, uh, to be up here again, to be sharing God's word. 
with you, and I'm gonna move this out of the way if that's all right, because it's not actually on. Um, but it is, it's such an incredible privilege to be doing this again, especially um, on the first week that we're celebrating the season of Advent. And um, the reason that we're celebrating Advent, well, we're gonna get into that uh, in a few minutes here, but um, if you would turn with me in your Bibles to Luke chapter one. And this scene that we just watched from uh, this movie was taken straight from Luke 1, 26 through 38. So that's where we're, going to, where we're going to be looking today is in Luke 1, 26 through 38. I'm going to move this a little bit, if that's okay. All right. All right, Luke 1, 26 through 38. In the sixth month, and this is the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, as we see in the context beforehand, in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he said to her, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I'm a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth, in her old age, has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the beautiful way for the incredible, miraculous way that you sent Jesus, that you sent your Son to this earth. Lord, we thank you for your word, for your inspired, inerrant word that we can read, that we can study, that we can preach, and that we can sing. Lord, we, we thank you that you've given us all that we need through Scripture. I just pray that as I speak this morning, you would guide my words by the Holy Spirit, and Lord, ultimately that you would be glorified and that your word would be spoken this morning. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. So, it's first of all incredibly important to understand that this passage, as much as it focuses on Mary and her experience, this passage is not really about Mary. While we can learn many things from her faith 
and what was definitely the most important time in her life, this passage is not about her. That's a secondary purpose of this passage. First and foremost, it is the announcement of a king like no other. It is ultimately about the coming king, Jesus, the promised Messiah. Now before we get any further into this, I'd like to look at the the context and the background information, um, either to refresh your memory or, if you're not familiar with this story, to bring you up to speed about it. Now most Christian scholars estimate that Mary was around 15 to 16 years old, or could have even been as young as 13 when she was betrothed to Joseph and when she conceived Jesus. And according to Jewish customs of the time, this wasn't unheard of because some young women as young as 12 would be betrothed to be married. And so a betrothal is not exactly an engagement. It's a little bit more than an engagement, but it's not exactly a full-on marriage either. Now, they'd be legally married to each other, but the ceremony and the consummation through physical intimacy wouldn't happen until many months or sometimes even years down the line. So Mary was betrothed and legally married to Joseph, and she conceived around the age of 15 to 16. And also, in the previous passage, we get a little glimpse of her family. We're told that Gabriel, that same angel that visited Mary, had also recently visited Zechariah. Zechariah and his wife Elizabeth were very old in age, but Gabriel told Zechariah that his wife would conceive, even in her old age. And it turns out she did. God is up to something here. He's moving. He's moving with a purpose. And that child of Elizabeth was John the Baptist. Now, This exchange here between Gabriel and Mary gives us many important details relating to something called Christology. And it literally means the, the study of Christ. It gives us so much information about the person of Jesus, who he was. It gives us information about his humanity, his sinlessness and holiness, his divinity, the fact that he is God, his eternality, the fact that he is forever and his kingdom will be forever, and the graciousness of God through Jesus Christ. And having a correct understanding of all of these things is absolutely essential to a correct understanding of the gospel. And it's all packed in here into this short exchange between Gabriel and Mary. The first thing that we're going to look at The first characteristic of Jesus that we're going to look at, and if you do write anything down, I don't have any notes, obviously, um, but if you do write anything down, write down the main points that I'm giving. So the first is the humanity of Jesus is essential. The humanity of Jesus is essential. It is essential to our atonement and forgiveness of our sin. And so God made it so that he would be born of a human. 
If you'd like to turn with me, you can to Hebrews chapter 2. We're going to be looking at a couple verses in there also. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14 says, Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself, Jesus, likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is, the devil. Jesus must have a real and true human nature. For his sacrifice to work, he must be human. Because only a human can substitute for other human beings. And not only must he have a human nature, but he must also be able to sympathize and identify with us, experiencing the consequences of the fall. In that same chapter of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 2, verse 17, it says, Therefore he had to be made like his brothers in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Jesus knew what it was like to be human. Everything from the feeling of hunger pains to exhaustion, from great joy to overwhelming grief. Jesus was also tempted in every way that we are. Hebrews 4.15, a few verses back, says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Jesus can sympathize with us in everything that we struggle with. He knows the temptations and the pain that we feel. When it seems that no one on planet Earth knows what we're going through, Jesus does. He knows. He felt it. He understands it. And no one can comfort you more than someone who has gone through and felt that exact same thing. But one thing about Jesus was different. He knew what it was to be human, yes, and he knew what it was to be tempted, but he did not sin. Tempted in every way that we have been, but he didn't give in. In order for his sacrifice to work, not only did Jesus need to be human, he needed to be sinless. He was the perfect example, the spotless lamb. Jesus was a real man, and Jesus was a righteous man. 100% human, 100% sinless. And the reason that Jesus was 100% sinless was because he was also 100% divine. The divinity of Jesus is absolutely essential as well. So we see that the humanity of Jesus is essential and the divinity of Jesus is essential. Jesus was both God and man. Verse 27 in Luke chapter 1 says, To a virgin betrothed, to a man whose name was Joseph, 
of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And also verse 34. And Mary said to the angel, how will this be? Since I am a virgin. Three times it's mentioned that, at least in these few verses, that Mary was a virgin. So why is that so important? She was told that she would give birth to a child. And I'm sure that that announcement filled her with all kinds of feelings of shock, confusion, fear, and she was probably dumbfounded by it. And not only was she told that she would give birth to a child, but that this child would be holy and the son of God. The immense weight that she must have felt from this sudden responsibility and revelation would have been absolutely crushing. Yet God knew exactly what he was doing. Now, obviously, in the natural world, babies don't just miraculously form in a womb without a very specific process happening. There must be a physical union between a mother and a father, and it is in every other circumstance impossible apart from this. Now, how does this link to the divinity of Jesus? How does it link to his divine nature? Well, in verse 35, and the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. The Holy Spirit brought the conception about by a miraculous act. Both Luke and Matthew state that Mary was a virgin when Jesus was conceived. The very nature of Christ's conception tells us that he was divine and therefore sinless. So we discuss why Jesus must be human for his sacrifice to work, but why also must he be divine? Well, in the book of 1 John chapter 4, in verse 10, it says, In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. That he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. What does that mean for Jesus to be the propitiation for our sins? Well, by definition, propitiation means appeasement or satisfaction specifically toward God. And propitiation is a two-part act that involves appeasing the wrath of an offended person and being reconciled to him. So Jesus had to appease the wrath of God so that we could be reconciled to him. And he did this by taking on the entirety of God's wrath at the cross, which his wrath by nature is infinite. It's absolutely impossible for a mere human to take on the whole of God's wrath and survive the experience. It's impossible. Eric Raymond says, and I quote, in order to bear the weight of wrath, it is essential that the Savior be divine. 
But also, in order to satisfy this wrath, he had to offer a sacrifice of such value that God would be pleased to accept it. Only Christ, as God, could bring a sacrifice of infinite and eternal value to God that he would propitiate heaven's wrath. This means that Christ earned our eternal life for us through his sinless divine nature. But this wouldn't secure our favor unless he was raised from the dead. In order to secure our favor with God, Jesus had to be raised from the dead. And so his divinity also means that he could be resurrected from the dead after having conquered death. This is when he secured our eternal life and reconciliation with God. All of these things are essential to our salvation, and without them, it would be impossible. Christ must be human. He must be divine, and he must be sinless. Jesus also must be eternal. His kingdom eternal. His kingdom forever. Verse 32, the angel says, He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Both Mary and Joseph were of the line of David, which means that Jesus, both biologically and by adoption, was a descendant of David. In both Isaiah and Daniel, we're told that God was already planning to establish an everlasting kingdom from the line of David and Jacob. In Isaiah 9, Verses 6 and 7, we see a very commonly read verse for Christmas here. There's a little bit more in it as well. For to us a child is born, for to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, and of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. And in Daniel chapter 2, verse 44, and in the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed, nor shall the kingdom be left to another people. It shall break in pieces all these kingdoms and bring them to an end, and it shall stand forever. Jesus was, is, and will be the fulfillment of all of these prophecies. Jesus was of the, of the lineage of David, and his kingdom will be forever. Jesus is a king like no other. Every king and kingdom that rises to power will fail and eventually fall. 
Every king was born of natural circumstances. Every king was born with a sin nature. Every king was fallible, and every king will die. The entirety of the Old Testament was leading up to this moment. The Old Testament records that the people of Israel were constantly asking for judges, prophets, and kings to help lead them. God had provided them the law and had led them through the desert day and night. They saw these amazing works of God from the parting of the Red Sea to the pillar of cloud by day and the fire by night to lead them. They received all that they needed and they were given manna from heaven to survive. They saw and partook in the miraculous works of God but it wasn't good enough for them. They built a golden calf to worship when Moses went to receive the Ten Commandments. They wandered around the desert for 40 years wishing that they were back in slavery with the Egyptians. They constantly sinned against God. God gave them everything that they needed. He led them into the land that He had promised them, And still they wanted more, more prophets, more kings, more rulers, more warriors, more false gods. And those prophets, kings, and warriors failed, sinned, and died. The people of Israel couldn't keep to the law. So they had animals that they sacrificed to atone for their sins. But it never stuck because they would sin again and again and again and had to sacrifice again and again and again. What is God showing us through all of this? We need a better prophet, a better judge, a better king, and a better sacrifice. A uh, a moment that I remember very vividly from my early teenage years was when Steve Jobs, who was the CEO of Apple at the time, announced the very first iPhone. And I don't know if many of you can remember that. I remember it was all over the news. It was absolutely a revolutionary product, and it has shaped most of the technology of today, actually. And I remember something very specifically that he said. He said, we're announcing three things today. A widescreen iPod with touch controls, a phone, and of course when Apple says they're announcing a phone, they erupted with applause. And then he said, a breakthrough internet communicator. And there was kind of a dull roar. But he kept repeating those things, an iPod, a phone, an internet communicator, an iPod, a phone, an internet communicator. And then he finally said, are you getting it? These aren't three different products. This is one device. And later that week, they launched the iPhone. So we see with Israel, they had their prophets, they had their judges, they had their kings, they had their sacrifices. They needed something better. 
They needed an all-in-one, if you will. The entire Old Testament is leading to this. Jesus is all of these things. Jesus is the better prophet, the better judge, the better sacrifice, and the better king. He's not only the king of Israel, though. He's the king of all people. Because his kingdom will never end, no king will outlive him. Because he is perfect and holy, no king can outdo him. And because he is God, no king can overthrow him. In order for Jesus to be the one true Messiah, the one true Savior of mankind, he must be human, he must be God, he must be without sin, and he must be eternal, his kingdom without end. And so far we see that Jesus is every single one of these things. Finally, we get to what Gabriel actually mentions first, which is the grace of God through Jesus. And without the grace of God through Jesus, none of the rest of this would even be possible. Verse 28 says, And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. So the last aspect that we're going to look at of the person of Jesus is his grace. While many may see this exchange here between the angel and Mary as a testament to who Mary was, because the phrase, O favored one, or full of grace, is how many will translate this, it's actually a testament to the grace of God in Jesus. Now, the original Greek word used here that most translate to O favored one, and I will probably butcher this pronunciation, kaherito mene, now, the tense and form that is being used here is actually more accurately translated to having been graced or have already been given grace. So if we exchange that in here, greetings, O one who has already been graced or who has been given grace, the Lord is with you. Mary was not the one who was possessing the grace. Nor was she the one to give it. It was God who had shown her grace. Now Mary, like every other person who had been born, was a sinner. Now, don't get me wrong, Mary was an incredible woman. I can't imagine the struggles that she had to go through. She was brave, faithful, and chosen by God but she was not holy. She was just as deserving of God's wrath as every other person on this planet. But God chose to use her in his sovereign plan by his grace. We see the grace of God in his choosing of a simple girl who had done nothing to earn God's favor. 
but he gave it to her freely. Now, she was from a small village in Galilee called Nazareth. And at that time, Nazareth was a very unknown town. It was very small, a small village that likely didn't appear on most maps at the time. Most likely, only the people who lived there actually knew about it. And so, to give an example of this, I, I knew some people back in college who every time they'd introduce themselves and the first time that I met them, they'd say, I'm from Chicago. When in reality, they were from a tiny suburb that no one had ever heard of that was 45 minutes away from Chicago. It was a lot simpler than saying, I'm from Lyle, Illinois. And I would ask, well, what's that close to? Oh, it's kind of close to Naperville. I don't know where that is. Well, it's east of Aurora. And that is, well, it's, it's just west of Chicago. It was a lot easier for them to just say Chicago at that point. But the point is, that was a very unknown town. Nazareth was very, very unknown. And God chose to use an unlikely girl from an unlikely place. And he used it to fulfill his plan of salvation. And in the very same way, God used his sovereign grace when he chose to save you and me. I cannot count the number of times that I've been in prayer and I've asked God, why me? Why would you choose to save me? What did I do? to deserve your grace? Why would you show mercy to me? God, I don't understand. I don't get it. But isn't that the beauty of God's grace? It wouldn't be grace if we deserved it or understood it. The last thing that we see in this conversation between Gabriel and Mary is the essential grace of God through Jesus Christ. Without this grace, salvation would be impossible. And even though this is the last point that I'm presenting here, without this aspect of God's character, none of the story would have taken place. God is a just God which means that he will do what is right. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Our sin requires punishment. Romans 6.23 tells us that that punishment is death. And if God carried out his justice with no grace, exactly how he should, everyone would have the exact same sentence. Eternity in hell. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But our God is gracious. He sent Jesus to be born of an unlikely girl from an unlikely town by his grace. God 
uses and chooses the least likely. Being fully human, Jesus was tempted just as we are. Yet being fully God, Jesus did not sin. And he went to the cross and died for us while we were still sinners. He died at the hands of sinful men. But he did this by his grace. And through his power, he conquered death and rose from the grave. He ascended to heaven, where he's now seated at the right hand of God the Father. He accomplished everything that he came to accomplish. And one day, Jesus will return, and he will rule and reign forever. His kingdom will be without end, and we can partake in that with him. God continues to reach out his grace today. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. There are at least a dozen birth announcements throughout all of the Bible. But the announcement of Jesus was far different. The announcement of the birth of Jesus changed everything. Jesus was 100% man, 100% God, sinless, gracious, and eternal. A king was coming, a king like the world had never known. Never to be beaten, never to be thwarted, holy, just, kind. Why do we celebrate Advent? And why do we celebrate Christmas? Because we're no longer waiting for that king. The world has finally received what it has been longing and waiting for. Jesus, a king like no other. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you for the essential attributes of Jesus. We thank you that you sent your son, fully human, fully God, to this earth. Lord, we thank you that he died in our place to forgive our sins. Lord, your word says that if we repent and turn from our sins, that you are faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Lord, we thank you for the hope that we have. We thank you for the promise of your eternal kingdom. And we thank you for the security that we have in Jesus that no one can separate us from your love, that nothing can snatch us out of your hand. Lord, we are secure eternally in you because of the sacrifice of Jesus. Lord, we thank you that you made a way when there was no way. We thank you that you sent a king like no other. Lord, 
we are in awe of your grace. And that's why we sing to you. And that's why we continue to have breath in our lungs because of your grace. Lord, we give this uh, day to you. Lord, we thank you for Jesus, the King of all kings. It's in his, in his name that we pray. Amen.